Yes, it's the 39th VegCast, and I'm your host, Vance. VegCast, a full menu from first to last, VegCast. Yes, welcome back, everybody, to another full menu of VegCast. It's the first VegCast for February, getting off the ground just a little bit late, but... No matter, we're going to plow ahead, and we do have a great show for you this time out. We have Martha Grimes, the best-selling author of the Richard Jury novels, as well as uh, many other books. And we talk about her newest book, Dakota, uh, which features a female hero who uh, has a certain passion for animals and animal issues, and uh, a book which kind of serves as a vehicle to wake a lot of people up about uh, what's going on in uh, the animal, the food animal industry. So we'll be talking with her about uh, that book and what she's uh, trying to do with it and how she does it and everything. Uh, We also will have a science fact for you, one of our a little bit less conventional science facts, but one that is uh, very scientifically based and of the utmost import. Uh, That's coming along, and of course also... We have a musical selection this time around. It's from a band called Watercolor Paintings. It consists of two vegetarians, a brother and a sister. And that's all coming up uh, along with a little extra commentary. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as you listen to the 39th edition of VegCast. Okay, just a couple quick notes before we get to the Martha Grimes interview. I want to note at the outset that this VegCast is, of course, sponsored by Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated vegan equipment by dedicated vegans. And I also want to explain uh, I had hoped to get this episode out last week. So uh, when you hear me say that the book comes out this week, Dakota, Uh, came out last week, actually. It's already been out a week, so what are you waiting for? Run out there and get it. Uh, And, of course, we make reference to uh, something that happened last week when I'm saying that. Uh, This was recorded a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the the HSUS video that came out, uh, the undercover video that I just barely had a chance to mention on the last VegCast, and uh, the fallout from that, as I predicted, has continued to be very large. Uh, As we record now, that has uh, led to the largest Uh, Meat recall in U.S. history, Uh, and we'll see where it goes from there, but I just wanted to note what happens when uh, the things that are happening anyway actually uh, get brought to light in a dramatic way. And so, again, congratulations to HSUS for that, and I should point out that uh, they do have a fund specifically for Uh, There are investigations like this for the Investigators Fund, and I would hope that people who are interested in this and want to support this will go to that page. I'm going to have a link to that in the show notes at VegCast.com. So if you go there, you can go directly and help uh, basically make it possible for stuff like this to be brought to light. And now, speaking of bringing things to light, we're going to talk with Martha Grimes, uh, who many people know as a best-selling mystery writer, but who uh, has a kind of a mission to bring certain things to light. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about right now. 
Okay, right now on VegCast, joining us by phone, we have best-selling author Martha Grimes. Uh, Martha, thank you for being with us on VegCast. Oh, my pleasure. It's a great honor to have you here. You are uh, well-known for your Richard Jury novels, and uh, you're one of the, the great mystery writers of our times. And uh, you, many people don't realize this, but you're also a vegetarian and uh, animal rights supporter. Is that right? Yeah, that is true. That is true. And uh, you have written uh, one one of these books before that actually uh, deals with this character, uh, Andy Oliver or Andy Olivier, depending on who's <laughs> Yes. Um, and I, ha- I ha- biting the moon. Right, and that I have to first. Yeah, I, I have to say I didn't. I haven't read that one. This was uh, the first one that I heard about, and so I was reading along in in this one, and uh, the character. I think it's. Uh, safe to disclose that uh, mm-hmm. she has amnesia at the beginning, at least, of this book. And so I was reading along, uh, imagining that, that we're just being introduced to her, but uh, regular Martha Grimes fans will already know her from the previous book. But but to me, it was like we're she's in the process of trying to figure out who she is at the same time that that we are. And I was wondering, first of all, if that was like a conscious uh, decision on your part to to kind of use that as a metaphor for the rest of us trying to figure out you know who we are what we've what we've done what it is <laughs> what we may be guilty of what crimes uh we may be uh have been a party to in terms of our relationship with animals was there was that was i just reading that into that no i think that's that's very uh that's very true okay that's very true well, it's. I mean, uh, we we're wondering sometimes why Andy chooses to do certain things, like take a job at a uh, pig uh, farrowing uh, uh, operation, uh, and or you know then volunteer to to drive them uh, to their final destination. I won't go any further than that. But uh, at one point, one of the characters says that uh, he thinks that she's she's trying to work off her guilt for something else. So I wondered if. If maybe uh, you were, uh, the the well, reader is implicated there a little bit, maybe. Let me say this: I imagine that all of us, to one extent or another, will perform charitable acts, do good things because we're working off guilt. Okay. Although, of course, it's not conscious. But as far as Andy is concerned, inviting the moon. There is a scene mm-hmm. uh, at a caged hunt. A caged hunt is totally despicable. Right. They keep exotic animals, and there is a boundary, which very, very large area. Uh, but there's a boundary around it, a fence of some sort, that keeps the animals in. So consequently, you know, imagine, imagine a, uh, a, an extremely low-class safari. Right. So the so-called hunter drives around and, uh, you know, shoots. The animals cannot get away. Right. Some people call it canned hunting, I think. Yeah, canned hunt. Uh-huh. And... Um, in this scene, when Andy Andy sees a hunter who is actually shooting a tiger in 
the tiger's caged area, not in the uh, not in the other area, uh, but you know, the tiger's uh, a cage, and this hunter shoots him. Mm-hmm. And Mary, uh, Mary Dark Hope, who is uh, her companion, who goes through this book with her, and she sees Andy get up. They're hiding, and they look at this, and she sees Andy get up, and she looks at Andy, and she thinks she has crossed a line. Now, Andy is so far above and beyond other people who love animals that she is indeed in a class by herself. Right. She doesn't, she doesn't know this. It would be impossible for her to turn away from a situation such as, you know, the pig farm. And she's, this is, uh, this, this is, I don't want to say she's obsessed because it isn't, it isn't obsession. It's, uh, it's a calling. Right. Well, and she does, uh, I mean, she obviously serves kind of as the, the mouthpiece for um, a lot of, uh, let's say, questions that uh, we might like to put to uh, to people, including uh, probably a large percentage of your readers who are meat eaters. And I wonder, mm-hmm. uh, how was it hard for you to, to balance, you know, trying to get a, a, tell a good story with... Uh, trying to get a point across without mm-hmm. without people just suddenly starting into monologues or starting to talk in in unnatural ways because it flows very well the talk is very natural and yet uh, sometimes there are things that'll just uh, kind of jump out at you that that you say wow that's uh, you know <laughs> people are going to have to think about that one. It's uh, yeah that's a very good point how you do this without without long speeches about animal rights and so forth. Uh, Yes, it was hard. I guess that I I felt or I knew when I was writing exactly how far I could go. Or I I knew that it was much, it it would really make the point much better if there wasn't any, if I avoided preaching and just attempted to show either to action or, you know, conversation, uh, what was going on. Now, the, uh, the scene in the slaughterhouse is pretty rough. Right. And uh, I don't know how many people... <laughs> are going to just pass over it. However, at least, you know, even if, even if they don't read that scene, I think the, uh, the whole point would have been made uh, fairly well without it. Right. Uh, I guess I, my feeling is you reach more people if you do this in fiction than nonfiction. I mean, I honestly don't think very... Well, there aren't an awful lot of people who would pick up a book of nonfiction uh, around the subject. Uh, many more people, I think, would pick up a work of fiction. Right. Well, I mean, for example, Gail Eisnett's uh, Slaughterhouse. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, 
I've read it, but yeah. I don't know a lot of people who would just pick that up and say, oh, great, I'll, I, I always wondered what went on inside a slaughterhouse. Let me pick this up and read it. Yeah, there you go. Whereas uh-huh. in this, by the time you get to the slaughterhouse, they've already kind of gotten invested in the story. To That's the point true. That I, I imagine it would be hard for them to just say, well, I'm not going to read this because they want to find out what happens with Andy and with the animals that she's uh, trying to work with. But um, I wondered... Did I mean your uh, your evocations of different scenes and the way people talk seem very very authentic and I don't know if you if you grew up in a small town or, or whatever you seem to have captured the dynamics of that pretty well um, but did you actually go to a slaughterhouse to uh, to research this or had you already been there or how did you get that that scene you know uh, so vivid Yeah that was uh, that was research uh, I have never been in a slaughterhouse. It would be veritably impossible to get into one. I mean, right. you know, I, I, I think if you walk <laughs> into a feedlot and said, look, I'd like to have a look at your slaughterhouse, uh, <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. Right. The same is true of factory farms. It is extremely difficult to get into one. Right. I possibly could have gotten into one uh, if I had uh, hooked up with uh, uh, a uh, animal organization I know and gone in undercover, uh, but I didn't do that. You know, there's been a good bit of, pub- of uh, publicity about Factory farming in general. I mean, I've seen the uh, I've seen videos that oh. I've gotten from uh, an animal organization, and uh, appalling, absolutely appalling. Now, of course, they've got this investigation going on uh, because of the about the uh, dairy cows. The cows. Right. I wanted to ask you about that because that just that just broke last week. It did. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and that was. HSUS that had someone in there undercover working uh, in the slaughterhouse and with these animals. It's really horrifying. People do not know this. Of course, people don't want to know this, but then, you know, you can hardly blame (laughs) the average person. The thing is, when you go into a supermarket... And you're buying meat, and you look at all of those packages under shrink wrap. You don't make that connection. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, they want they want to keep it that way. <laughs> they, of course, they don't make absolutely. Of course, they want to keep it that way. We've grown so far away from the whole notion of farms, animals, everything. We get farther and farther away. I think from that whole that whole business. Did you happen to see? Now this is in the New York Times. I think about a week or two ago. The uh, the thing about Jamie Oliver, the chef. Uh, no, I don't think and, and this absolutely. This is. I thought this was awesome. I think maybe this was his. He he had a class, a cooking class. Uh-huh. And he was serving chicken, and he he rung right in front of these people. He rung the chicken's neck. <laughs> now you know most people would be horrified, and I'm sure that most people, how dare he? What a terrible thing to do! Right. But his point, see, he wasn't telling people 
not to eat chicken, not to eat meat. His point was, if you're going to eat this, you've got to take the responsibility for knowing what happens before that chicken or that animal gets to your plate. I thought this was great. Right. Well, that is uh, that reminds me of another uh, New York Times piece. Uh, it was an op-ed uh, a couple weeks ago by Mark Bittman. Uh, it raised the issue that people are kind of becoming more aware of that this, and when they do, one thing that they try to do is say, "Well, maybe I can, I can eat, you know, humanely raised meat." And oh, it, yeah. it's kind of an yeah. odd thing in that. People still think, well, yeah, if it's humanely raised, if, if they give them enough space in this, uh, in this cage, then it's perfectly all right if they take them away and wring their necks or, you know, uh, slice their throats or whatever. Because there's, yeah. there's really no way to, to get meat and still be humane. And yet we, you know, people are, are at least they're, they're moving a little bit, but it seems like maybe they're, they're still deluding themselves. It's cheaper the way it is. The way it has been in the past, it's right. cheaper to for people to uh, you know buy the uh, the meat that's raised in uh, the country factory farms, um, and that would be you know that would be a problem for people. You know, I sort of look at it from that point of view too. Do you see yourself as part of that that process that's uh, <laughs> kind of helping to turn that tide, or do you have hope for for? Oh, uh, I certainly would. I'd certainly like to see myself as part of that process. Absolutely, uh-huh. yes. Uh, my feeling is it's going to be a long, hard uphill. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, there are there are so many more i mean obviously there has been and will continue to be uh a great turnaround uh when it comes to humane treatment of animals vegetarianism uh, organic uh food there has been it's going to continue uh there have been so many more uh, animal rights, animal welfare organizations uh, started. I mean, there really, really have been. So I think that it's going to get better for the animals. You know, I just don't think it's going to happen very quickly. Right. Well, what? Let me just ask you in terms of the the humane, humanely raised concept. Do some some people say? You know, if 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 we keep on putting out this so-called humanely raised meat, it just makes people uh, delude themselves longer. Rather than saying, you know, I should stop eating meat, they say, okay, I can buy this, and now it's okay. And and would you say that, it, you know, looking at the the big picture, that it's actually, you know, better to uh, promote the the hum- more humane alternative or to just Say no. We should be telling people straight out. You know, if you're if you're buying this, you're supporting the killing of animals, and that's the bottom line. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. I guess I feel that to get people to uh, to buy only humanely raised animals. If they would go that far, 
that, I think, is a very good thing. I think that's real progress if people can be uh, induced at least to, uh, to stop uh, buying meat from factory farms. I mean, I think that would be enormous progress right there. So to answer your question, I think that that should be uh, a good step. Okay. Um, and before I let you go, I just uh, have to ask, is, are you cooking up, uh, so to speak, uh, any, any new adventures uh, for Andy? Is she going to push it uh, further in, a, in some new book, or do you have to like take oh, sure. a, a few years off before you <laughs> let another one of these uh, out on the uh, unsuspecting public? Yeah, with, uh, with my book, since I write uh, so many different kinds of books, uh, it wouldn't be, you know, it would be a couple of years uh, before I write another one. However, I do, uh, uh, definitely, yes. Uh, when you come to the end of this book, you'll see that <laughs> she just goes on. Uh-huh. I have included, or I have put into even the Richard Jury books uh, an issue one of them, in one of the Richard Jury books, uh, I, I, I got in the, uh, the PMU farms, you know, the pregnant right, birth right. urine, yeah. And uh, so it's possible to get issues like this into the other books. So, you know, I'm always trying to do something like that. And uh, I just... Uh, I just hope Dakota, uh, you know, gets a uh, a big readership. I mean, just for for the uh, the issue alone, right? Um, and uh, I'm doing. Uh, I don't know if uh, you were told. Uh, I'm doing two uh, book signing deals. One in Los Angeles. Uh, with Last Chance for Animals uh-huh. at a bookstore, and one in D.C. with PCRM with Neil Bernard. Great. Well, and we'll uh, be sure to let people know about uh, those in the show notes, and I'll uh, be sure this is uh, the book, obviously, that we're talking about is Dakota. It's from Viking. It's, uh, it comes out this week, and uh, I'm sure there will it will... Uh, be widely read, or at least much more widely read than uh, a lot of the uh, other things that have this information. You're uh, helping to get that out and ma- make people kind of uh, aware of things that they they may not necessarily want to confront, but everybody likes uh, a good story, and uh, you've, you've kind of packaged that in with uh, uh, the information. So it's, it's really, I think, a, a successful uh, way of getting that across. So, uh, so Martha Grimes, best of luck to you, and uh, I look forward to seeing what, what Andy uh, gets into uh, next. And if she's, I don't know, if she's going to be going into a dairy farm and uh, having to watch cows be taken away from their mothers or, or the, the egg industry and see what happens to the male baby chicks or mm-hmm. what, whatever happens, we'll be there. And uh, uh, it, it's great to have you on the show, and thanks for uh, taking time out to be with us on VegCast. Well, thank you very much. Those are really good questions. Okay, well... Yeah, thank, thank you. you. All right, I'll talk to you later then. Okay, Doug. Bye-bye. 
to go, 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 where the cacti grow and the rocket ships fly into the sky. There are hula hoops and chocolate candy to help me remain happy. That's Watercolor Paintings with Happy Ships. Watercolor Paintings is Rebecca Redman and her brother, who have both been vegetarian, she says, since they were children. And she's just uh, gone vegan over the past year and a half. So good work, Rebecca. Thanks. And now it is time for us to turn our sights to science. Okay, today's science fact uh, does not come from a peer-reviewed academic journal, but as you know, occasionally we bend that rule for things that are particularly noteworthy, and uh, this one may get kind of buried under the news of the largest recall in U.S. history. It's uh, completely unrelated to the whole brouhaha out in California uh, about the downer cows. Uh, at least unrelated in terms of a particular company or a particular kind of animal. But, of course, it's very much related in that it shows, uh, again, how the company uh, increases its profits on the backs of animals, human and non-human. The Charlotte Observer in North Carolina did an investigation into just one poultry uh, uh, company and found uh, incredible numbers for their uh, reported injuries. That is incredibly low. 
numbers for their reported injuries, and then talked to workers and found story after story of workers uh, not getting the medical attention that they needed and or being fired when uh, they requested medical attention. I'm just going to cite a couple of the stats in this uh, that the Charlotte Observer found. House of Rafer, that's the name of the poultry company, House of Rafer's 800-worker plant in West Columbia, South Carolina, reported no musculoskeletal disorders over four years. Experts say that's inconceivable. MSDs, including carpal tunnel syndrome, are the most common work-related injuries affecting poultry workers. Uh, The work which uh, they point out uh, a little further down, uh, poultry workers routinely make more than 20,000 cutting motions per shift, uh, and the work often leaves them with nerve and muscle damage. And yet this plant had absolutely no disorders over four years. Its Greenville, South Carolina plant has boasted of a five-year safety streak with no lost time accidents. But the plant kept that streak alive by bringing injured employees back to the factory to work hours after surgery. That's right. On the same shift, get injured, go to the hospital, come back and finish your shift. That's the the way they do do it at that particular plant. And uh, the observer also notes that the company has broken the law by failing to record injuries on government safety logs uh, as cited by a top OSHA official. They, they go into uh, great detail here, and the reason that it's in the science fact is that it's uh, so exhaustively and scientifically pre- presented, and I will, of course, have a link to this in the show notes and invite everybody to uh, read more about this. Just a couple of uh, little tidbits. First of all, uh, 10 of the people that, uh, the 50 people that uh, they talked to who were no longer employed at House of Rayford said that they were fired after reporting injuries. And uh, to give you some sense, perhaps, of the state of mind of the people uh, running this place and seeing the animals go through and the uh, workers who are often uh, immigrants from Mexico, often Hispanic, uh, often illegal, but that's a whole other issue, uh, to get a sense of perhaps how they see these Entities. James Mabe, the complex manager, said he was unsure why his logs showed no musculoskeletal disorders, and he wound up offering this explanation. Hispanics, he says, are very good with their hands and working with a knife. We've gotten less complaints. As to elaborate, Mabe said, it's more like a natural movement for them. Well, that means that he thinks that there's something genetic that in the DNA of Hispanics, uh, that they're, they're like born with a knife in their hand, ready to just to start cutting. Uh, Tom Armstrong, University of Michigan professor who has studied the prevalence of MSDs in poultry processing, questioned how Mabe arrived at his conclusion about Hispanics. I know of absolutely no data to support that. So uh, the point that I'm trying to make here, in case it has escaped you, is that uh, when you have these plants, these large plants where you have many animals going through, animals that do not wish to be killed and are going to fight against that, and you have people whose job it is to do that, uh, there are going to be a lot of problems, and it's perhaps not shocking that the people running that company and trying to maximize every penny of profit uh, would see the human toll in the same terms as they see the animal toll. It's just expendable bodies to be cut, as many of these workers have wound up being cut themselves. That's kind of the focus of this this whole series from the Observer. Uh, Cut and or discarded if they get to be uh, just uh, too troublesome. 
So it's not a pretty picture, but it is a picture that uh, people should be paying attention to along with the other pictures that are being brought to light and uh, which we hope to bring a little light to as well here on the Science Fact. Okay, we're going to get out of here and get this podcast processed and out to you. But before we do, I just want to remind everybody that this podcast is sponsored by Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated vegan equipment by dedicated vegans. And if you don't have a chance to get to VegCast.com to the show notes, you can find them on the web directly by going to www.welovesoy.com. Okay, that's going to do it for VegCast 39. We'll be back here with VegCast 40 in a little over a week. Uh, Fortunately, we have another extra day in February this year to uh, squeeze that in. Uh, Thanks to Martha Grimes for talking with us, and be sure to check out her novel, Dakota. Uh, which has just come out from Viking. And thanks to Rebecca Redman of Watercolor Paintings for clearing happy ships for us to play. And until next time, I'm Vance reminding you to get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.